Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. So writes the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, so we read and so we reflected upon last week. And if Christ has not been raised, he goes on from there, then those who have died in Christ have simply perished. Have simply perished. And so if for this life only, he concludes, we have hoped in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So writes Paul, putting in the starkest of terms the great wager of Christian faith. What it all comes down to, is it hope for now and this is it? Or is it also faith for tomorrow and is there something more? This is a question you'll recall that Paul himself answers just moments later in his letter writing, but in fact Christ Jesus has been raised, the first fruits of those who've died. In other words, Paul is saying with Christ's resurrection, the resurrection of the many has been made possible. This is the substance of what we hope for. This, as the book of Hebrews would say, is the evidence of that which we do not yet see. And while this matters for us every day as Christian believers, it particularly matters for us on this day. This day as we, with Christian churches all around the world, join together to remember those whom we've loved and lost this past year. The separation of death is always painful, whether we've been separated by death years ago or just days ago. It's always painful, but when we live in Christ, when we see the world through Christ's eyes, when we understand reality through the lens of Christ's resurrection, then we find solace in our pain and separation in two vital ways. First, we trust that our pain is only temporal and that what pains us now pales in comparison to what is prepared for us later. And second, we trust that the pain we feel now is not borne by us alone, 
But as the writer of Hebrews says, we trust that in Christ we have a high priest who is able to empathize with us in our sorrows. That is, a Savior who, like us, knows what the pain of separation feels like. And so in today's sermon, I will talk about these two great, profound sources of solace. And then I will invite us to hold them both dear today. Today, on this day, when we remember our loved ones who've gone on before us into glory. First, the comfort of knowing that Christ shares our sorrows with us. Perhaps this might sound trite. Perhaps this may sound like flowery pastoral language or some ornate idea that has no practical form to it. But when we look clearly into the Scriptures, we see that this is far more than a mere idea. For when we look clearly into the Scriptures, we see this otherwise trite, flowery language taking on human form and thus becoming eminently practical. For in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus called to the home of Lazarus, where Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, have sent word to Jesus that Lazarus, his dear friend, is dying. And as we follow the story, we see that Jesus arrives to the home too late. For by the time Jesus arrives there, Lazarus has already passed. And I want us to pause here in the narrative for just a moment to quickly reflect on this. Quickly think about this question. How many of us can relate to this scene? How many of us have been called to the home of a loved one soon to pass? To the hospice room? To the hospital room? to the back bedroom, to the room where one we love will soon breathe his or her last. How many of us have stood there in such a moment with lumps in our throats and tears in our eyes? How many of us with family and friends have sat around the bed of the recently deceased holding one another, crying with one another, perhaps even singing a hymn or sharing a prayer with one another. Most all of us have. And it's among the rawest, most visceral, most emotional experiences that we can have as human beings. And I bring this experience up this morning so as to bring alive for us this particular text, this particular story from John's Gospel. Because you see, this is the experience that Jesus himself is undergoing in this moment. Like we ourselves have before, so too has Jesus here been told to come quickly, for his dear friend is soon to pass. 
And much to his great dismay, he arrives there too late. Arrives just in time to see friends and family still gathered together, tears in their eyes, holding one another close, themselves perhaps singing hymns or sharing in a prayer. And so let us watch now what Jesus does in this moment. Let us watch carefully now because this, perhaps more than anything else, gives us a window into the very heart and the very character of Creator God. Jesus walks into the room, sees everyone else there crying, feels his own emotion welling up within him, and then suddenly, just like them, just like us, Jesus Christ begins to weep. Yes, a few verses later, he will raise Lazarus back to life. And yes, this part of the story is remarkable, no doubt. But for this day, on this All Saints Sunday, I simply want us to park right here. I want us to focus on this part right here. This part that shows us Jesus Christ, God become human the sight of a loved one's passing and the sight of his friend's tears. I want us to focus right here on how Jesus Christ begins to weep himself. The point. If the person of Jesus is our clearest window into the essential character of Creator God. If Jesus really is that which theologians call the human face of God, then what follows from that is this. Our Creator God also weeps along with and for us in our pain and in our sorrow. Dear family, on this All Saints Sunday, let us remember this. We have not a high priest who is unable to empathize with our sorrows. But instead, we have a high priest who is acquainted with sorrow in the same ways as are we. Which means that on this day, as we feel the pain of death's separation, Christ our Lord, seated on high, feels that pain, bears that pain along with and for us. We do not, nor will we ever, as Christ followers, carry our pain alone. That's point number one. Here's point number two. We also, as Christ followers, will not carry this pain forever. The Christian hope is this. 
that as Christ Jesus has been raised in glory, so shall we and our loved ones be raised in glory one day as well. You see, this first point, this consolation that Christ Jesus shares our pain with us, this would be of only limited comfort if it weren't followed by this second point as well. For if this is all there is, if we live today and we die tomorrow, if the sum total of life's meaning is nil, if we are only to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die, if so then what really, what ultimately is comforting about knowing that God feels our pain with us? If our pain is merely shared, but is never in fact transformed, what really is the point of carrying it at all? That is what Paul is saying. That is what Paul is asking when he writes to the Corinthians that if Christ has not been raised, then their faith is futile. Why bother with it then, he is in essence asking. But the central claim of the Christian faith the thing it all turns upon is the belief against belief that somehow this man, Jesus, this man who was somehow more than just a man, that somehow this man died like we do, but then rose from the dead like we do not. But then that because he did, so too one day shall we. But in fact, Christ has been raised, Paul writes, and thus is the first fruits of those who have died. Do y'all know what the first fruits are? This language, the first fruits, is a reference to the Israelite harvest cycle and to the annual observance of the Jewish festival Shavuot. Every year at Shavuot, which occurs in the late spring, the ancient Jewish community, per the command in Exodus 23, was to bring vegetables from the first fruits of their fields and leave them at the temple, an offering to demonstrate their faith in God's ability to bring forth a large harvest, that is, an exponential multiplication of these first fruits, come the fullness of the season. In other words, they were to bring a small representation of the larger crop they trusted was soon to come. And so that, Paul writes, is what Jesus has become for humankind. The resurrection of the human being, Jesus Christ, Paul writes, is the first fruit of the larger resurrection of redeemed humanity one day to come. Jesus, Paul is saying, is the first fruit of what will be an exponential harvest of resurrected human beings come the fullness of time. 
This, the entire Christian story urges us to believe, is what the entire story of creation has been about. That it's been about the work of a loving God, all the while humbling himself to partner with his own creation. Humbling himself to become one of his own creation, so as to bring all of creation into line with his great and good purpose. Now what this is, what this means, what this looks like, only God knows. And thus only poetry can even hint at it. And so to that end, the best we can do to envision that which is to come, the best that we can hear to even begin trying to conceive of it, is the poetry offered to us by St. John and his revelation. And so as I bring this sermon to a close and read from John's poetry, I want you to hear these words as comforting and as true. As both consolation that not only does God feel our pain with us, which is profound consolation, but also that God will come the fullness of time, transform our present pain into something beautiful and new. John writes, and I quote, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice, Jesus Christ's voice, saying, See, the home of God is among humankind. God will now dwell with them. They will be His people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For death will be no more. Yes, on this All Saints Sunday, as we reflect on the lives of those whom we've lost, and as we experience that inevitable pain that comes with death's separation, let us hold fast to these two profound sources of comfort. First, that we do not carry our pain alone, that Christ our Lord weeps along with us. And second, that our tears will one day be wiped away. As John himself writes, so do I as your pastor believe. These words are trustworthy and they are true. For Christ Jesus has been raised. And because he has, so too will he one day wipe every tear from our eyes. And on that day mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For on that day, because of his saving death, death itself will be no more. To which all God's people said, Amen.